It's an honor to be here, all the way from Colorado, and I apologize for the weather I brought with me. I read my Bible every morning. Well, nearly every morning. I would like to say probably more often than not. I often read it while I have my coffee and while I'm still trying to wake up. This is about 4.30 in the morning, give or take about 10 minutes. Apart from at least two cups of coffee, I'm not a morning person, not even in the slightest. I've got about one gear struggling through its revolution. But because of the demands of family and vocation, I'm up early. I'm sure a lot of other mothers out there might resonate with that. But because of the, um, so I read my Bible and I sip my coffee. I read one, maybe two chapters. I don't ascribe to reading plans because aren't we just gonna start this all over next year on January 1st? So I take my time. So I work my way through Genesis to Revelation. And I'll admit that there are plenty of mornings where the coffee in my mug is more interesting and intriguing to me than the text I'm reading. But occasionally something will catch my eye and get that other gear turning in my head. And this happened a couple of months back, as I said, it's occasional, while I was reading the book of Ezekiel. Here's what I read that grabbed my attention early one winter morning. Ezekiel 17, 22 to 24. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar, I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruits and become a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, I make high the low tree, I dry up the green tree, and I make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, I will accomplish it. Yes, of all the odd and intriguing imagery running throughout the entirety of the book of Ezekiel, this, this portion about a tree being planted on a high mountain is the portion that snapped me out of my not even close to two cups of coffee infused early morning quasi slumber. A passage about a tree made me stop reading and begin contemplating. Granted, I live in the high desert, so maybe the idea of a great big cedar providing shade and comfort from the burning sun of the summertime or the cold wind and snow of winter sounded good to me. Or maybe the idea of anything green and verdant appealed to me considering it was the middle of a Colorado winter. I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. I will set it out. I will break off a tender one from the topmost of its young twigs. I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it in order that it may bear, produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. In this portion of our passage, God is promising to plant a great and noble cedar. From a sprig, he is going to break off from another. And he will plant this sprig, this tender one, on a high mountain so that it will become a noble cedar. You know what grows on top of a high mountain? Nothing. Well, nothing substantial, nothing qualifying as noble, and you have to take my word for it, I live in the mountains, and nothing grows up there. I'm a skier, and when you get past the tree line, there's nothing, maybe some scrub oak, oak all caved in on itself. Nothing 
nothing even remotely qualifying as a place for winged creatures to nest under. The top of a mountain is typically bald because the environment is too frigid and the conditions too treacherous for foliage to grow, let alone to allow for a transplanted cutting to take root and grow and become mighty in substance. So what caught my attention that winter morning was God promising that he was going to plant a tender one on the top of a mountain. Certainly this is death for, this, for a cedar sapling. What a precarious thing for God to do. In the midst of a book that is primarily comprised of prophetic utterances of judgment against the current corrupt, oppressive, militaristic, and hopeless monarchy of Jerusalem, Israel, why prophesy about a great cedar on a mountaintop grown from the planting of a sprig? How does this prophecy contribute to such judgment on the leadership and elite of Israel? And take note, the oracles concerning restoration of Israel and the restored temple fall much later in the book. Thus, this episode concerning a tree stands out in the midst of the oracles of judgment. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. All the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree. I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree, and I make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will accomplish it. But why is this particular tree here in the middle of judgment? The tree is the word of hope in this passage, not for the leadership of Israel, but for those who are suffering under the leadership. The tree will be so mighty in stature that winged creatures of all kinds will be able to find shelter in its boughs. Cedars protect those creatures who find shelter in them from harsh and inclement weather. They are the perfect safe haven from cold winds and bitter precipitation. This particular cedar planted and nourished by God will be a beacon of hope to all who look upon it. Because of where it's been planted on a high mountaintop and how it has grown into the grandest of grandest of trees, it will loom large on the horizon. Those who look upon it will know that God is still active, that his power is still magnificent, and that he hears the deep cries and knows the sufferings and oppression of his people. He knows their pain, and he knows it intimately. Like the serpent lifted up on a noble pole, on a pole in the book of Numbers, this cedar will reign up high and will bring hope to those who look upon it. This cedar stood as the promise of an answer to the repeated cries of the troubled, downtrodden, and the brokenhearted, just as David writes in Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. But even, but even more than being a static symbol of hope for the people of Israel and Jerusalem, it's a dynamic word for the people. God is on the move. This great tree is on a collision course with God himself. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And as a kingdom, there will be no end. Luke 1, 30 to 33. 
that God so loved the world that he sent his son into it to be born of a woman as a vulnerable baby. The act of birth is a coming close to death, coming face to face with death to bring forth life for both the woman and the child. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God in our timeline began in a very interesting way. A baby conceived by the Holy Spirit was born of a Virgin Mary. The fully divine and fully human Christ would enter the world defenseless, naked, and tender. What a precarious thing for God to do. But just as God promised that the sprig in Ezekiel would become a great and mighty cedar of cedars, and it would become because God's word, God's promises never fall to the ground, so too will this baby grow to be great, the son of the Most High. He will be the prophet of prophets, the priest of priests, the king of kings. He will be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This baby born of the virgin will grow to be the man Christ Jesus who is God. And he will draw unto himself the rejected, the oppressed, the marginalized, and the suffering in body, mind, and spirit. And he will render the existing power structures obsolete and archaic. And those people he draws unto himself will have the ears to hear him, to heed his call, and they will look to him, and they will know in a once and for all and tangible way that this God is their God, and this God is for them. He will be their God, and they will be his people. But not only because of his life, but also through his death and resurrection. In Jesus Christ, in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the earth receives her Savior, her good and merciful King, and her faithful priest. For as I mentioned before, the great cedar of Ezekiel was on a collision course with God himself. The sprig of the high mountaintop and the baby of Christmas have the same fate in Easter, to be the final answer to all of humanity's pain and suffering, to bear the weight of sin and be the bearer of life, to break down the strongholds, and to redefine justice. For this great man who is God will carry this great cedar to the top of a high mountain, and he will climb upon this great cedar. And this great cedar will bear the entire weight of Christ as he bears the entire weight of our sin and the brokenness of the world. And this cedar will hold fast the nails that, that hold Christ there. In this moment, Jesus will cry out and submit himself to the labor pains of new life, like his mother all those years before. With the spilling of blood and water and the breaking of his body in the act of labor, he will bring forth new life. Yet, unlike his mother all those years before, he will not only come face to face with death, but will enter death to subject it to itself through his death and his resurrection. We will not only look and see the power of the Lord and know that he is God, like our patriarchs and matriarchs of Israel did before us, but we will be, we are, encountered by this living and active God in this moment, in this very event. Here we will know and experience on a visceral level the power of God as we come face to face with him. In this encounter, we are forever changed as we are brought through our own death into the gift of new life, resurrected life. And in this event, the prophecies and oracles of Ezekiel that we read just a moment ago find their fulfillment. The low will be brought high and the high will be brought low. The verdant will be dried up and the dried up will be made verdant. The first will be last, and the last will be first. 
In this event, blessedness is no longer reserved for those who are strong and rich, but is for those who are poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness. Like the winged creatures mentioned by Ezekiel above, in the boughs of the cross and the limbs of our crucified and resurrected Savior, we receive our comfort and the fulfillment of our hope. It's in the safe and protective shade of the cross where we hear the divine no more to our pain and our suffering, the no more to our grief and our fear. In this event, our shame and our filth is washed away and we are as white as snow. And in this event, in Christ, those who were once cast off and rejected are brought close and accepted, counted as God's own children and heirs of the long-awaited king. Those who are in captivity are set free. Those who are oppressed, their burdens are lifted. The hopeless are hopeful. The voiceless have a voice. And the refugee finds refuge. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Amen. Amen.